Why do we use the medium of sound to start us anew for Rosh Hashanah? I think the answer is simple. The shofar is what it's often called. It's an alarm. An alarm that wakes us up from our sleep. An alarm that can rouse us from distraction. An alarm that warns us from incoming danger. I heard such an alarm multiple times this summer because I was in Israel at two different occasions. Once for our family vacation we take every year. We spend close to a month in an apartment in Jerusalem. And the second time was on the same mission with Bruce towards the end of the summer. And for the first time with my family, I was subject to those sounds. The sounds of the air raid sirens that went off in Tel Aviv, that went off in Jerusalem, and that went off almost every 10 minutes in the south of Israel. The sounds on my phone of the Red Alert app telling us where the incoming missiles were coming and how much time we had to find shelter. But there was one time where that sound was incredibly potent. I heard two sounds. Underneath my feet, I heard the sound of shattered glass because I, with Bruce and close to 42 members of our community and the New York Board of Rabbis visited a home that earlier that day in Ashkelon, a city that's only seven miles from the Gaza border, was hit by a rocket. It missed the blanket of the Iron Dome. And we're visiting this home and seeing its utter destruction and broken glass everywhere, shattering underneath each of our steps. Thank God no one was harmed physically in that attack. And at that moment... We stood with a congressman, a Republican named Peter King, the former governor of New York, a Democrat named David Patterson. We stood with two leaders in the Knesset, one Amir Peretz, who was former defense minister, and the head of the city of Ashkelon, people from different backgrounds and stripes. And on this trip, there were people from different backgrounds and stripes. There were men and there were women. There were some who were tickling 80 years young, and there were some who were only in their 20s. There were some who were rabbis, and of the rabbis, there were reform, conservative, and orthodox. And there were non-Jews on our trip as well. And in Ashkelon, as the glass was shattering underneath our feet and crunching with each step, the air raid siren went off. And you know how much time you are in every city. Jerusalem... You get a full minute. In Tel Aviv, you get about a minute and 10 seconds. But in Ashkelon, you get 20 seconds because of its proximity to Gaza. The alarms went off, and we all ran. People instinctively grabbed those who were tourists who had never been to Israel and took them for shelter. People instinctively grabbed David Patterson, a blind man, and ensured that he found shelter And we all ran in unison. We all stood underneath the cover. We all were in the same bomb shelter in the dark. And as I stood there in that moment, and we watched the miracle of the Iron Dome intercept the rocket that had Bruce's name and all of our names on it simply for coming to Israel. You didn't even have to be Jewish. Coming to Israel. I was struck by a fact 
that hasn't left my mind since. And the fact is this simple one. Why is it that when that alarm went off and the rockets came in, there was nothing dividing us? Republican and Democrat, black men and white men, women and men, Jews and non-Jews, older and younger, we were all the same. Our worries were the same. Our fears were the same. Our rush for shelter was the same. Our reflex was the same. Looking out for someone who can't look out for themselves was the same. But then when the all clear goes, we somehow fall back into that comfortable narrative of reform, conservative, and orthodox, of Republican and Democrat, Jewish and not Jewish. Why is it that the alarms cause us to be unified? And when there aren't alarms, we find so many opportunities for division. I would argue that one of the lessons we have to hear in the shofar, one of the lessons that have to come across crystal clear, is that we need to hear that blast as a wake-up call, as something warning us to danger, and the danger is division. We are so much stronger when we are unified. We have so many more common denominators when that shofar goes off and we realize the threats that are upon us, we don't think about whether men and women pray together, sit next to each other. We don't think about my God versus your God for the Jew and the Gentile. And we don't think about what side of the aisle we sit on when we cast votes in Congress. We are one. And sadly, in our history, whether it was 1492 when we were expelled from Spain whether it was 1941 when we were being selected off the trains, no one cared how we voted or how we prayed. We are one. As we get ready to hear the blast of the shofar to usher in this new year of 5,775, let it be a wake-up call for all of us, a wake-up call for unity, a wake-up call for us to be one, a wake-up call to take all the places of division and where we can push them aside and ignore them and not only hear air raid sirens to draw us closer together. Let's hear that sound as we prepare for the blast of the shofar. I want to tell you about a person named Max Steinberg of blessed memory who was a sharpshooter in an elite brigade in the Israeli army. Steinberg was 24 years young, living in Beersheba, when he was killed on July 20th along with six of his fellow soldiers because a Hamas anti-tank missile hit their armored personnel carrier in Gaza City of Shahaya neighborhood. It was a disaster. Max Steinberg lived in L.A. And like so many people in this congregation and across the globe, he was Jewish but not very affiliated and not very connected to Israel. No one from his family had ever been to Israel, but his friends had been part of Taglit, been part of Birthright, and they had a great experience. So, Max signed up. And he was so positively infected by his experience on Birthright that he chose to make Aliyah to Israel. He moved to Israel. And he did what all young men and women do when you move to Israel, both by choice and because they are required to. He conscribed to the army. But he was proud to. He wanted to serve in this country. 
He learned Hebrew, which is required, and he enlisted. He lived in Beersheba when he wasn't in the army, and he had hoped to finish his army duty and then continue on to study and build a life for himself in Israel. But sadly, that mortar that hit the APC and took him and his fellow soldiers out snuffed that life out far, far too early. Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, wrote a personal letter, handwritten, to Max's parents, where he thanked them for his love for Israel and appreciated the fact that he fell in defense of a Jewish homeland for Jews everywhere. Netanyahu said, I know that Max was a proud Zionist who loved Israel, made Aliyah, and bravely chose to serve his adopted country. He worked to become an Israeli in every way and was particularly and justifiably proud to be a member of the Golani Brigade. I know how many people in his brigade and in his world he touched. One of the primary concerns for someone like Max, who is what we call in Hebrew a chayal boded, a lone soldier, is that they have no family when they're in Israel. They have no one to look after them. And if, God forbid, a lone soldier should have their life taken from them, well, that worry, that cause, is reason for everyone in Israel to think that not enough people will attend their funeral. In the case of Max Steinberg, 30,000 people chose to attend his funeral with less than 24 hours' notice. And most estimates tell us that 29,950 people had no idea who Max Steinberg was, what he looked like, or where he was from. But 29,950 people wanted to come and to say thank you to this young man who was fighting for their freedom to live a life in Israel and for our freedom too. That is an incredible gesture. I had immense, immense pride this year when one of our very own, someone who I had the blessing of officiating at his bar mitzvah, Harrison Adler, was in Israel and chose to enlist in the Israel Defense Forces as a chayal boded, as a lone soldier. To me, it is the epitome of selflessness and the epitome of unity. And I pray every day, as I do for Harrison and all of the other soldiers, lone or not, that what happened for Max never be a reality for us that they always feel our embrace. But what plays in my mind's eye is the unity of 30,000 people. Again, different backgrounds and stripes, some who weren't even Jewish, men and women who all stood together for a person they never met, but for a value that they all believed in. And they came to say thank you. If we're unified when we die, can't we be unified when we're living? If we're unified to come and say thank you at a grave, can't we be unified all the times we walk in the street? Where Max is buried at Har Herzl, right next to him are generals. There are heads of state. There are men and there are women all in the same place. There is no division in the cemetery based on your rank or based on your background or based on your name. It's simply when you died in the area of the cemetery that's open at Har Herzl. That is unity as well. So we prepare to blast the shofar again. Let us hear the memory and the calling of Max Steinberg of blessed memory, the calling of the shofar that Harrison Adler heard, the calling for all of us 
to find our moment of unity. I've been thinking a lot about the notion of unity, not only because we were unified when we ran for shelter, and not only because we were unified as we stood to remember a lone boy who chose to make Aliyah and defend our homeland, and sadly had his life taken from him. But I've been thinking a lot over research that has been presented to the Jewish people, especially in the last 10 and 11 months. Research that tells us that so many things that our Jewish world has done to fight issues of assimilation have been valiant, but they've been unsuccessful. Rick Jacobs, who's the head of the reform movement, said that fighting issues of intermarriage and assimilation is tantamount to fighting gravity. I doubt there's one person in this room, one, who isn't affected in some way or another by a family member who has assimilated, a family member disconnected to Judaism, and perhaps even a family member who's chosen to marry someone of a different faith without conversion. It's a reality that the conservative movement has tried to address for the last 30 years, but the numbers have proved one thing to us, and that why they tried so hard, it didn't have the impact we hoped it would. It yielded far few results. I want to be expressly clear. In no way do I believe in my heart or do I believe in my words that Jews should do anything but marry other Jews. And I am always advocating for a conversion of the non-Jewish partner in a relationship. But to boil it down to all or nothing... To say we welcome you if you're Jewish, but we don't welcome you if you're not Jewish is demonstrative of a people who are disconnected from the reality and the world that we live in today, from the challenges that face us, from the complexities of a modern world. And after all, wasn't it this movement, the conservative movement, that made itself about blending together modern life and Jewish law? As we prepare to blast the shofar again this year, I want it to be a call for us to be unified again, to focus on our commonality instead of our division. And I want us to be sensitive to difference. I want the shofar on this blast to be a call to stretch with the elasticity that is the beauty of Judaism, our halakha, our Jewishly permissible guidelines, so that the letter of the law and the spirit of the law can be open and include all of the others where we can in our temple. We want to do that without compromising Jewish law and with deep sensitivities to our tradition and to traditionalists, to people who are in the camp who think that we should stay grounded and married to that sense of tradition. But at the same time, being sensitive and thoughtful to the reality of so many in our congregation who face this reality and this dilemma each day and letting them know that this is a place where we are welcome and they can be included. We want to be unified, but we want to be respectful of the choices that people make to choose conversion or not conversion and to be part of our community. We want to be considerate. We want to be thoughtful because I believe that is the core of what Judaism is about. As we begin this new year of 5,775, this congregation will begin a journey as well. 
We will explore together. We will learn together. We will discuss with passion together, and we will show respect for one another in those discussions. But we are going to stretch our comfort level to see where and how we can include people who aren't of the same stripe as ours without compromising our Jewish law and with deep sensitivities to those who are firmly in that camp of tradition. I'm asking all of you to be part of that conversation, to lend your voice and your passion, and to realize the beauty of what our tradition asks for us, a moment of unity. If we're unified when the bombs come in and we're unified when our loved ones die, why do we have to say to some people, you can't come in and you can't stand here on this event, even though your loved one is celebrating in this way? It won't be a simple conversation. It won't be dictatorial in any way. But it will be exactly what the holiday asks of us, a journey, a stretch, a new perspective, and an opportunity to begin anew in getting closer to God. Think of that call and think of the voice you will lend as we hear the blast of the shofar.